Welcome to the Bishop and the Vickers. I'm Bishop Tom Daly from the Diocese of Spokane in Eastern Washington. Joining me are our three vicars, Father Darren Connell, who is rector of the cathedral, the Mother Church of the Diocese of Spokane, Our Lady of Lords. He's also Vicar General, Father Pat Kirst, who is pastor of both Thomas More Parish and St. Patrick, and he is the Vicar for Priests, and Father Brian Mee from St. Augustine's and Vicar for Finance. Today we're speaking, as we approach uh, very soon, the great celebration on one level of Ash Wednesday with its penitential theme, but also a preparation, a grace-filled season that helps us enter over a six-week period into the great Triduum and the Easter celebration. Maybe for our listening audience, a little history on Lent, its development, its meaning, and its purpose. It's certainly a journey, often is a phrase used to describe this whole grace-filled season. Father Meat, maybe a little history on the season of Lent for us. Well, Bishop, I'm sure you'll remember that uh, one of our first programs last year was a program on Lent. And I gave a little history at that time. I'm sure that our uh, listeners recall every single word that was spoken. All uh, three of them, I, I yes. Do, I do, yes. All yes. right. But just a, a quick summary and maybe a repeat of a few little things. The first time that we hear, at least in a church document, about a season of 40 days, quaresima, uh, or what becomes lent to us, is at the Council of Nicaea in 325. So that's where we first have that 40 days, and of course it's based on Christ's 40 days in the desert, Moses fasting for 40 days uh, before on Mount Sinai, before uh, receiving the tablets of the commandments. But one thing we didn't talk much about last time, I think we may have gotten a little into fasting, but the whole fasting, it was very interesting as well. In the early church, the idea was that they would fast just as Christ fasted in the desert, well, we couldn't fast for 40 complete days, but they would fast for until basically that mid-afternoon hour, we could say 3 p.m., and they could not eat any uh, flesh, any meat, and anything from flesh or anything that comes from an animal. So there were no dairy products that were allowed either. And so that's where actually fish begins to come in because that was not seen as, you know, uh, red meat or, and therefore fish was allowed. It began to uh, be mitigated later on by the 14th century while they could begin eating by noon. But still, you can imagine it was quite a long fast or from, and the idea was that they'd receive one meal. So some of the things, even some would say uh, the blessing of Easter eggs that we have at Easter well, it's a blessing, and it's a, a joyous celebration of what had been fasted from, uh, such as eggs and dairy products and meats and all of that. Now, in the festivity of the Easter season, those would all be enjoyed. One of the, you mentioned, uh, you know, food products and abstaining from food products. One of the, um, one of those common foods, uh, my understanding is, uh, one of the common foods we have today, the pretzel, um, was developed because of uh, Lenten practices and simply made of flour, water, and salt and baked because, again, as you said, um, uh, dairy products were not allowed. And one of the traditions we have at Cataldo Catholic School, our Catholic school um, supported by the cathedral, is to uh, one day to, to uh, bring pretzels to the kids on a, on a Friday and to talk about um, the history and the importance of abstinence and 
and also th that shape of the pretzel that you see where um, the arms are fold looks as if arms are folded over one's chest in prayer, kind of capturing the importance of prayer, fasting, and abstinence all in one delicious little treat. That's not so delicious. So you, when you take those pretzels, you also provide the cheese in a can and. Yeah, cheese whiz. Yeah, cheese whiz. Is that right. a gourmet meal in Spokane? Uh, <laughs> yeah. okay. You know, one of the things I think, yeah, certainly in the Ash Wednesday reading, it says that if you are to fast, do not be wearing a long face. If you are to pray, go to your room and pray where the Father hears you. The idea of it, uh, we're not supposed to, it's not supposed to be something that we put on display. And uh, that's always interesting that we have that on Ash Wednesday where we get ashes on our forehead, which is very a very public show of that. So it's kind of somewhat of a contradiction. But I think um, the season, even though it's a penitential season, there's a very joyous aspect to it. And that is that uh, we're entering a time of hope. We recognize that we have sinned, that we are sinners, but in this season of prayer and fasting, there's forgiveness and mercy and compassion. And, of course, that all comes to uh, a great you know, finale with the celebration of Easter where Christ rises and we are promised eternal life with him. And, of course, this is a wonderful year where the coincidence is not lost on many people that the beginning of Lent is Ash Wednesday, which happens to be Valentine's Day this year. Mm. And then Easter Sunday is on April Fool's Day. And... Picking up that image of uh, Ash Wednesday being on Valentine's Day, there's one layer of talking about the competition between uh, the Hallmark holiday, Valentine's Day, and the church holiday, Ash Wednesday, how to how to reconcile those two things. But along with that, if uh, it'll be a, perhaps a preacher's opportunity to try to mesh those things when we talk about Valentine's Day being a celebration of love, however that gets interpreted, and how do we then mold the themes of Ash Wednesday into being an expression of love and that sense of being able to repent, to be able to experience God's mercy is all a result of God's love for us and how he's out of that love sent to us his son. And, and uh, in Lent, we're reminded of that love and what that calls us to, to fullness of life and to uh, conversion from our sinful ways to ways of virtue and holiness. Some of the images for Lent might be resetting the physics of our soul, that is, <clears throat> to call us back into that we are beloved sons and daughters uh, of our Lord. As uh, Father Me had mentioned, the setting of the 40 days goes back to the Council of Nicaea. Uh, historians tell us, church historians, that the St. Irenaeus of Lyon, as uh, Father, Father Connell... Is in Spain? Uh, no, that's in France, oh, okay. yes. Um, <laughs> in the second is. century, um, had a 40-hour time uh, of preparation, which then led to the 40 days. But as, as Father Kirst had talking about, you know, here it is in this particular year, Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday. If we see the Lenten season as a, a, a conversion of heart, of, or might say resetting the physics of the soul, the heart uh, gives life or death to our soul. With the image that Father Me had mentioned that uh, here we are, we're told to do this in quiet, not to broad broaden our kind of um, broadcast. broadcast, thank you, the Lenten season with <clears throat> ashes. Now, some priests like to, the ashes almost looks like USDA choice on the forehead, kind of a major stamp. <laughs> a stamp. 
But what about that tradition? Father Me was in a monastery for about three weeks, and uh, <laughs> with the with the ashes on the head. Can you tell us something about that? Uh, did they do that at Mount Angel, or um, where instead of putting the ashes on the forehead, they sprinkled them on either your head or your rug or whatever is on top? Of your <laughs> so, well, I'll tell you. Uh, <clears throat> Even better than that, I received ashes from Pope John Paul II. St. John Paul II. St. John, well, he, at that time he was simply Pope, yeah. When I knew him, he was only the Pope. Mm -hmm. And on the first, uh, on Ash Wednesday, the Ash Wednesday celebration in Rome is at Santa Sabina. And the Holy Father is the one that starts that whole, the whole Lenten uh, stational churches. We can get into that sometime. But the first stational church is Santa Sabina, and he gives ashes, and that's a tradition that goes all the way back to Gregory the Great, or I should say St. Gregory the Great, <laughs> Great. Uh, <clears throat> giving the ashes. But, you know, if we have a moment, I'd like to go back to something that uh, Father Kirst brought up, and that's that whole Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday. In a way, it would be a wonderful day uh, that couples would really be able to confess not simply their love to one another, but ask forgiveness of one another. Or the times that um, they haven't uh, manifested true love or concern for one another. So that Ash Wednesday, that's in a way, that's what the penance is. It's uh, reconnecting a couple with one another and asking forgiveness. And Ash Wednesday in the Lenten season is in a joyous way. And I don't like to use joy too much in the season of Lent coming from my Irish background. But nonetheless... In a joyous way, it is us uh, reconnecting with our faith, or more uh, importantly, with our love of God and with our uh, Creator. What would you think would the average Catholic in our diocese, um, um, someone who, as you mentioned, giving some concrete example to husbands and wives, what about to our young people, um, how, would, how might they enter into this uh, Lenten season, one we often refer to as a journey, a time of kind of a distance, a time of reflection, not immediate gratification? How might we guide the students in our religious education and, and parish schools, our youth group members, that they too see the importance of Lent uh, as an opportunity for them to enter, again, using that phrase, enter into the experience of Jesus? For example, temptation in the desert. Any, any thoughts on that? Well, I, I think one of the things that we can help our kids understand is that um, penances uh, are, are a means to an end. And so if they give up chocolate or television or, or the Internet or something, that when that, when that feels, when that hurts, when it's a, a struggle for them, to take that uh, and, and offer it for someone else, to offer the grace of that, um, that penitential practice for the good of another person, for their parents, for a student who might be struggling – so that it doesn't just end with themselves, but it actually they can we can teach our children to use penances and the grace of that penance in service of someone else, which could also again be part of what Father Me was saying in terms of the spouses who confess their love to each other, ask for forgiveness, and that any penances that they engage in that day, let's say they wait till Thursday to go out to dinner, uh, any penances that they have that day, um, they could offer those graces for for one another. I think one of the things is um, certainly at St. Augustine's, we have a lot of resources and Lenten aids, and I'm sure many parishes do. I'd like to show them on the radio. We don't need I them. Can't. We don't need them. <laughs> we don't need them. But 
beyond the parish, I think it's very important. Uh, Lent should almost be stressed as a family uh, season. It's in the family. Uh, that is a core community in which forgiveness should be sought. So, Bishop, back to what you were asked, saying about the students or about young people, I think they re- need to reconnect in the family, just as on that Ash Wednesday or Valentine's Day, we're talking about the two parents um, coming together and and seeking forgiveness of one another and speaking of their love for one another. The family needs to be doing that. So every member of the family. So even if some way a family could find uh, through a course or a practice in the Lenten season, be it weekly or even daily, where the family comes together and just does that, they they seek the forgiveness of one another and um, share with one another how important each of them is to the family and and to the faith. We know that uh, we're going to get ready for a break, but we can't... Uh, uh forget that Lent comes from what the Anglo-Saxon word for spring, which is a renewal. And as you mentioned, um, we would hope that at the end of the six weeks, as we prepare for the great celebration of Easter, that that sense of renewed faith may lead to an even greater appreciation of what it means to be a Catholic Christian in the 21st century. We'll take a break and we'll be right back with more discussion on the season of Lent in our Catholic faith. back. I'm Bishop Daly with the Vickers, and we're discussing the season of Lent as we celebrate Ash Wednesday. And listen to our listening audience, we would hope that these days that approach would be opportunities for grace to grow in a spirit of conversion. As we know, in the early church, Lent quickly became associated with the sacrament of baptism, as Easter is the great baptismal feast. But for those who were in preparation to, to be baptized, over a period of time, their families, those already baptized, joined them. So maybe uh, we can discuss a little bit what's going on in our parishes, uh, the role of catechumenate, the Easter vigil, uh, those opportunities for those who are already Catholic to experience a deeper faith as these who are entering to the church, to our Catholic faith for the first time might be going through. Right. Many parishes have uh, people who have approached the community to inquire about uh, becoming a member of the Catholic Church, being joined to Christ and to his body, the church, through the Easter sacraments. And uh, that normally involves getting involved in the process of rite of Christian initiation of adults. And there are different people that get involved in that, some who are unbaptized, some baptized in other Christian denominations who are looking into becoming Catholic. And some people take advantage of that process who were baptized Catholic, but not really raised in the in the faith, and so want to be deepened in that relationship with Christ and the church. And through all of that, it, it's a process that, of course, is very focused upon each of their individual journeys, but it also becomes something that's very transformative for the whole parish, as there are a lot of public rites that happen throughout this process, the, the rite of acceptance into the catechumenate, and and uh, and then sending off to the rite of election, which is coming up soon. And then as a some people become elect, and then those candidates for full communion continue their journey. Uh, during the Lenten season for the elect, there are scrutiny rites and so forth. And, and those are public celebrations and, and uh, public penitential uh, observances that the entire parish is invited to be immersed in as well as they're praying for these people going through the process. So 
I found in my experience that uh, RCIA process with the people involved in that really is transformative for the entire parish if they are getting on board with that and, and making that time of Lent a time of renewing their own baptismal promises, which they will do very formally at, at Easter time to kind of look at their baptismal life. How am I doing with that? How do I need to, to do better? What do I need to let go from my life? And, and uh, doing that along with the people who the community is, is assisting to come into union with Christ in the church. I think um, all of those, I agree with all of that. I think it can be very that, good. That's good. Yeah. For the parish, it's for unusual. the individuals. <laughs> I do find, um, you know, it's almost a year long, or usually in most parishes, the RCIA program starts in the fall and then is completed. Uh, some with a period post Easter period of time called mystic Bogia. But, uh, I find it somewhat burdensome too. We live in such a mobile society that for everyone to be there for all those various rights and everything that, uh, father Chris mentioned, it's difficult. So it can be disjointed as well. Uh, of course the RCIA program bases itself back on the old catechesis that comes from, uh, Theodore Mopsuestia and Cyril of Jerusalem. I was going to say that. And uh, Cyril of and Jerusalem, he had, he had 18 <laughs> homilies just during uh, Lent or uh, on preparing for uh, that Easter celebration. But most people today, they're not living in places like Mopsuestia where you had nothing to do and go and <laughs> listen to an RCIA class forever. Uh, so I think in some ways it's, um, it's a great program I wish somehow it could be uh, customized, I guess, more to fit the mobile society we live in. I think we've all had uh, experiences with um, marriages that uh, one or the other spouse is not a Catholic, and oftentimes those those non-Catholics are the ones who are in our RCA programs that over time they um, decide that that's the best thing for them and that God's calling them to, to take that step. And uh, last year we had a my young man, uh, husband, and and father, I'll go through the RCIA program at the cathedral, and went faithfully every week and mass on Sunday and all that. And uh, we had the Easter vigil, and he was uh, baptized and received into the church by Bishop Daly. And at the end of the celebration, was what mass was over with, and he came into me and said, "Well, Father, that was really great." He said, "I'll see you at Christmas," <laughs> and he purposely did that because uh, he was he was poking me or trying to rile me up because. One of the things that we really try to em emphasize in the RCIA program that this is this doesn't end at Easter. That this is a embracing a way of life now, uh, which involves Sunday Eucharist uh, each and every Sunday, and a, a life of grace and participation in the sacramental life of the church. Um, I just think that's really a, a really important focus, so that people don't just kind of earn the prize on Easter and then that becomes it. When we have members of our uh, parishes within the diocese, uh, the phrase that. It, help sponsor. Um, what have you found in your experiences as, as still priests and parishes, as pastors, those who often are with them in the classes, lifelong Catholics who themselves maybe had gone to Catholic schools or religious education, but have you found that along with those who are receiving the sacraments, that those who are lifelong Catholics who've been their sponsors, any changes in them? Do they ever comment to you about what this meant to them? Has it, it, have they experienced a renewal of their own faith as they've sought to accompany those in the process? Well, it's really wonderful when a, a sponsor is able to participate in the actual sessions. That's not always possible. Perhaps a sponsor lives out of town or can't make the commitment to being at the sessions all that often. 
but when they can, it is, I think, very powerful for them. And the team, uh, the parishes I've served in have an RCA team, and, and many of them reflect with me about how that's really a, a almost, aside from the Eucharist, of course, the most central part of their faith is being able to get together with these other people on a journey and talk about their experiences and, and how in talking about that, they articulate what they believe more fully and, and they're deepened in that. It's that old adage that if you really want to learn something, then teach it. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think that uh, really does take shape within the life of RCIA team members and sponsors who are able to participate. There's always the, the emphasis, as it should be, on the penitential nature of Lent, and that means an awareness of sin. Oftentimes there are homilies given, there's uh, days of recollection, especially uh, I would imagine that most of those RCA programs have at least some morning of prayer uh, for those who are receiving the sacraments. But the awareness of sin always has to be balanced by the emphasis on love and the acceptance that God still has for our humanity, uh, despite oftentimes the, the sinful nature of who we are. Maybe what's going on in your parish is uh, we've talked about the power of the sacrament of reconciliation uh, Father Me was talking at the break how at one time, of course, uh, people received uh, reconciliation or once in their lifetime and how that developed over through the Irish monks. Have you found um, in your parishes that our people suddenly rediscover not only the penitential nature of Lent, but the power of God's mercy and love and reconciliation? Is that still... Uh, uh, we talk about the drop-off in confessions, yet I still hear confessions uh, at the cathedral during especially these seasons, and I think that people come in uh, seeking the mercy, a little bit afraid because it's been a while, but maybe some ex experiences you've had in your parishes with um, lifelong Catholics coming back to the faith, perhaps in the sacrament of reconciliation as a source of hope and healing. Well, one of the things that we do uh, um, during Lent at the cathedral is we actually set up a third um, station for confession. So we have the two confessionals in the back and then up in the uh, west uh, transept, we set, we set up actually a third because um, one of the things that we really find is that, especially during Lent, uh, a lot of people take advantage of the sacrament of, of reconciliation and we could easily have and will have uh, and do have uh, three priests hearing a couple of times a week um, confessions and long lines. And it's really edifying to see so many people um, overcome whatever fears they have, as you mentioned, Bishop, but also um, uh, experiencing that, that profound mercy and forgiveness that is so needed in people's lives. One of the uh, great uh, opportunities for grace during this season is to, to go to daily Mass. And I've seen at the cathedral the amount of people who work downtown and on their lunch hour will come for, for, for Mass as part of their, uh, the emphasis on prayer, it's not a time for a 25-minute homily of the priest because people do have to get back to the office. You should practice what you preach, then. Yes, well, <laughs> try next time not to bring the finger puppets when you uh, do oh, your... Oh, the kids love it. Yeah, yeah, but they're... <laughs> All right, Father Chris, you're going to give us something insightful as usual. Uh, about, about, about what? <laughs> no, just maybe, do you find in your parish, of, of course, now you're in uh, your first year at Thomas More? First year, so I've not experienced a Lent yet in mm -hmm. St. Thomas More and St. Patrick. So mm -hmm. that's the We live every day as Lent up at St. Augustine's. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. That's that's yeah. That comes say. from the rule of St. Benedict. Right. By that's yeah, but, right. But that, in terms of the practice of, of confession, I, I think I, I've read as everybody, that confession is not used as frequently as it used to be in the past. And before my time, I understand uh, 
whether by obligation or devotion. Uh, there was kind of weekly confession that was pretty common for a lot of people, so they could go to communion on Sunday, I guess. And and that you know isn't the practice uh, so much anymore, although some people still observe that practice. But those comments about you know people don't go to confession anymore. There haven't been any parishes I've served in. Uh, I'm like, as Father Connell was talking about, you know, where I've been in, in the past and where I am now, you know, the couple hours a week we set up for confession time isn't quite enough. We usually run hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half. And uh, and you have Saturday confessions. I know Father McNeese has been very good about that. I don't know what this kind of recovery, but Saturday confessions at in the morning at uh, in addition to the Friday, afternoon. Friday, well, Friday at noon, mm-hmm. which when I got there, I said, nobody's going to come to confession Friday at noon. They got lives. Well, guess what? Uh, that's good. I got in fact. I got to get back there soon. There is uh, in this di- in the city here in Spokane, there are confessions uh, regularly scheduled almost every day of the week. I know St. Francis Xavier has Tuesdays. We have Wednesdays, um, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays too. So regularly um, uh, scheduled times for confession, and I think that the fruit of that has been that. Uh, more people are going to confession. I don't buy into the thing that people don't go to confession anymore because it's, again, like Father Chris said, it's not my experience. And the more that we provide it, uh, the more people are taking advantage now, of Father, it. Now, Father, me, you typically, if you had your way, you'd schedule confessions. 3 uh, to 3.05. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Short. Yeah. You know, one thing I want to bring up besides confessions is uh, Father Chris brought up earlier that it happens this year, Ash Wednesday falls on Valentine's Day or Valentine's Day falls on Ash Wednesday. And of course, I'm sure most of us have uh, noted that on Easter falls on April Fool's Day. And that's kind of an interesting, one could reflect upon that as well. You know, we are to be fools for Christ. And uh, as we go into the whole season of Lent, for that matter, all of these practices we have, and I suppose as the world looks upon it, many of them might seem foolish, uh, but we allow ourselves to be fools for Christ because Christ is risen. I've got my Easter homily. That is... Father, may you continue to impress a small group of our listening audience. <laughs> but in any case, as we bring our show to conclusion, we'll be talking throughout this uh, Lenten season on other aspects of, of this journey. Uh, know that we pray for one another. We pray as, as the priests, as the religious women and men, the deacons and wives and families, together, the church in eastern Washington, that we pray that this season of conversion will move us from sin to grace and allow us to really experience the mystery of God's love for all of us. We thank you for your prayers, and let us during also this season of Lent remember those, for whatever reason, may not be practicing our faith, that once again they'll come to know Christ's love, his mercy, and above all his peace. God bless. Thank you for listening to Bishop and Vickers.